Hello, everyone. I'm Jeffrey Howard from HubSpot Diamond Partner Agency, Mori Creative Studios. And I want to welcome you to the Inclusion Hub podcast bonus episodes. In these episodes, I'm interviewing some of the founders and various team members behind Inclusion Hub's founding partners. To kick off this four-part mini-series, I had the chance to connect with the incredible people at Fable, which is a leading accessibility testing platform powered by people with disabilities. You may recognize that name. It is also the home of Inclusion Hub podcast host, Sam Pru, where he works as an accessibility evangelist. As you might've already heard in episode 10, I had the chance to interview Sam about his more personal perspectives on advocating for accessibility and greater inclusion. At the end of our conversation, he metaphorically handed over the mic to me to further share some of the insights and inspiring stories from our founders. In this first episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Fable CEO, Alvar Pillay, as well as Fable COO, Abid Varani. And we talked about a lot of interesting stuff. The founding of their company, we talked about why digital inclusion and accessibility are so important to each of them personally. We talked about the challenges of allyship, and it's a constant learning process for all of us. And we talked about so much more. But first, before we dive into this episode, I have one small request for you. Make sure you subscribe to the Inclusion of Podcast. I would hate for you to miss out on any of the upcoming episodes with our founders. And if you're new to the show, go ahead, check out the entire catalog from season one. We had some amazing, courageous, and passionate guests throughout the entire season. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Abid and Alvar. Enjoy. Abbott, Alvar, welcome to the Inclusion Hub podcast. Thank you so much for having us. I would love to start out hearing a, the story of how you two met and what led up to the founding of Fable and what people or events inspired you to dedicate so much of your lives to digital inclusion. Abbott and I met each other in 2015 when we were doing our Masters of Inclusive Design at OCAD University in Toronto. And we both came to the program with different backgrounds. You know, my background was in UX design. Uh, I'd been a UX designer. I'd studied UX before, and I was just really curious to take it further ahead. So I had just moved from India to Toronto for this program. And everything that I was learning was completely new to me, even though I was a designer before. And for you, your yeah. background in international development. It was a totally different kind of approach of, I was intrigued by this premise of inclusive design. The way to solve a problem is mm -hmm. ultimately by engaging people who experience the problem, which in the world of international development is, is not often practiced. So I was coming in with a, a strong um, idea of how I wanted to take that philosophy and, and bring it into the other work I'd done uh, and the other academic experience I had. But that that first two weeks of school really was defining in the bigger picture of what's inspired us to get all the way here because um, our professor, Yuda, who was on the show previously, was running this two-week intensive. And it was eight hours a day for two weeks to get to know your classmates, but also the premise of the course was unlearning. And it was a deep, 
dive into how we look at things, the biases we hold, and doing so amongst an incredibly diverse cohort of individuals who all had different backgrounds and experiences. And, and those two weeks were kind of the beginning of the one, two, 99th and 100th punch process that <laughs> is understanding inclusive design actually works. Yeah, I think that I think the first two weeks just, you know, opened up your mind. It was just everything you looked at, you looked at it from a different lens. And as we were going through this program, we both got to, you know, work together uh, on a bunch of different projects. And one of the projects we worked on was redesigning a remote control for the television. We redesigned it based on the experience that Abbott's grandmom, who was 90 years old at that time, and we were trying to observe, you know, how does she use the remote? You know, is she able to use it by herself? And what should it be to make that experience better for her? It was really strange to see someone who, you know, watched TV a lot, relied on people around her to just use a remote control that anyone who is, you know, at a much younger age, who is completely able-bodied would not think twice about it. They would just, you know, pick up the remote and do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. And I remember we redesigned a much simpler remote and put it in front of her. Yeah, and we really pinpointed on a specific feature. And, and what we realized was that this, you know, spirited 90-something-year-old woman who is enjoying her soap operas was actually watching stuff sometimes because she didn't know how to turn the TV off. It was my introduction to the world of user experience and understanding UX from a cognitive load perspective and realizing that, hey, this this one button on the remote does two different things and it does two opposite things. It turns on the TV and it turns off the TV. And she was interpreting it as that's the button to turn on the TV and I don't know how to turn off the TV. And so we we used an acrylic sheet and filled it with putty and <laughs> designed a remote control that was a completely different size. But the most distinctive element of it was that it had an on button and it had an off button. <laughs> and then we put it in front of her and kind of used the remote behind her back to kind of imitate what she was doing on our prototype on the TV. And when asked to turn off, she did it instinctively. And it was really satisfying. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very exciting introduction to the world for me of what it meant to work with users, let alone to work with a user you love and care for, and to realize you can solve real problems that people face when you ask them about the problem and get them involved in the solution. I love how your background in international development has this nice analog to the work you're doing of, and it'll, we'll get into this about allyship, how so many solutions come from outside of a community rather than coming from within. And that often absolutely happens in international development as well. Greater inclusion accessibility is incredibly personal matter for people, how they come around to it. I'd love to hear sort of your personal journeys about becoming allies for the disability community and what is the role that you envision for allies in accessibility and inclusion? You know, I think one of the one of the more consequential moments I had in in becoming an ally was broadening my understanding of accessibility or disability or inclusion. And I think I think this idea that certain things that we think are binary really aren't 
was a hard one for me to learn. And I think, I think it played a huge role in being a, a better partner to, to folks who are trying to, you know, just live their lives fully. When I let go of that idea that this is a binary distinction and started to just reflect on, hey, what is, what is my body? How is it unique? How is it different from other people? And I've lived with chronic pain for about 10 years and had a, it's prompted from a, a surgery on my lower back. And that was caused by a car accident. And, and that affects my day-to-day life and understanding um, how that affects my life and in what situations do I become disabled as well? Or in what way was my rehab a disability? And just relearning this idea of what the word disability means is probably one of the most important things that I think uh, folks have to go through to really be an ally. If there's allyship with an undertone of this binary distinction of people mm-hmm. who are and people who aren't, I I worry that that could be allyship that only goes halfway. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think for me, even when I was taught design, just our, our concept of averaging users and, and putting people in buckets and, and trying to find as much commonality as possible, like that's always been you know, our approach, but I think, you know, celebrating difference and recognizing that difference is actually special is important. So my journey with that was with, I have uh, been living with a skin condition called vitiligo, which, you know, results in, you know, white patches all across my skin. And for the longest time in my life, I was, I hated the fact that I looked different, uh, that I didn't look like others and, and trying to get rid of my vitiligo. And I would say in the last five years has been my journey of, you know, celebrating my own difference and my own uniqueness. And I kind of take that approach even when we think about design and inclusion, it's we need to come to a point of like celebrating difference because that's how we can create as much of an equitable world for everyone to participate. If we just focus on commonality, someone is going to be ignored at some point of time. I love the the pushback of the binary, how roughly 15% of the global population lives with a disability and pushing back against the binary also breaks down this otherizing of people who are disabled and not, and that's beautiful. I want to speak a little bit more on allyship. We have so many listeners who don't live with disabilities, but want to help or unsure. What advice do you have? (laughs) You know, I recently have gotten to learn a lot by uh, engaging with and learning about Judy Human's experiences and, and her advocacy. One of the things that's really stuck is about how we talk to young people and teach them about disability. And I think that's something that everyone can do is is be aware of the sentiments that are being communicated to the generation coming up. Uh, and I think whether that means, you know, you got nieces and nephews, whether you have kids, whether you're a mentor to someone younger professionally, you know, we all engage with folks in different generations. And I, I think putting some emphasis and focus on folks who are younger and being very cognizant of how we are using language and reacting to 
folks with disabilities. And, and I think a really good example of that is the overreaction side of things and getting that in check. When we see someone disabled sail a boat, we shouldn't be so freaking impressed. And letting go of this like inspiration, porn inspired mm-hmm. attitude mm-hmm. towards people with disabilities getting things done, I, I think that is something we should all just pay attention to, especially in and around younger people. So we talked a little bit on a personal level, and I appreciate those. I second those. I want to look a little bit more organizationally. There are a lot of organizations who are waking up to accessibility, digital inclusion, realizing, wow, we are way behind. And it can feel daunting to make that transition. What are two or three things you think an organization can do to immediately become more digitally inclusive? Yeah, I think I think it's amazing that organizations are finally starting to even look at it from a perspective of digital inclusion, right? It's it's not accessibility compliance. I think that's that's been a great transition to see in the industry and that companies are finally starting to wake up to this. I think the best way for businesses to start making their investments is is knowing where they're at. You you need to know where you're at so that you know what kind of investments you need to make to improve. And and that starts with really identifying how accessible are your products for people with disabilities. How many people in your team know about accessibility who feel comfortable around the language of disability? You need to have the language to be able to talk about it, and then you need to have the skills to be able to act on it. And it all starts with where are you at right now and looking into making that investment and verifying that. Were you going to add something there, Abed? I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, from a organizational perspective, it's so hard sometimes to look inwards as an organization. I, I just think that if folks are having a hard time doing that, like there's nothing wrong asking for help. There are amazing consultants and contractors and companies out there who will help you take a look. Sometimes a outside yeah. perspective can really be informative. It's true. However, I want to throw a, a particular question to you. Admittedly, I've listened to several interviews with you. <laughs> Not an expert, but... You've many times referred to digital inclusion as a technical problem. What yes. do you mean by that? We live in a digital world. Every company that exists leverages technology in some way, you know, whether that's internal or whether that's external, them supporting their customers, consumers, whatever kind of company you are in this day and age, it is living online. And that means the way we build our digital products is what's coming in between to make sure that you know the experiences we're creating are accessible. And that's why I say it's a technical problem. It's the way our websites works. It's the way our applications work. It's the way our devices work. We actually have so much more ability to make our digital world accessible than our physical world. It will take a lot more time to make a building accessible, to make an elevator accessible, to make a washroom accessible. But for you to make a sign-up form accessible, to make, you know, transferring money accessible, it's far more easier. And that's why inclusion is a technical problem. 
just to build on that a little bit too, like when you think in the workplace, you know, like we're seeing these statistics about how many companies are starting to make these commitments to, you know, a percentage of their workforce being folks who have disabilities. But then you see the hiring strategies include like this wild number of expectation of turnover. And for people with disabilities to be successful at work, it it becomes so much more poignant as to how the tools that a company chooses to use internally can dictate whether or not someone has the ability to succeed in their job, Mm -hmm. to compete in their job, and to grow as a professional. I think it should be really freeing and exciting because inclusion broadly is not a technical problem. And it takes so much systemic change to tackle some of the bigger, broader issues in the space of inclusion, including for people with disabilities. But when it comes to the digital element of that, it's it's actually really exciting that it's a technical problem mm-hmm. because it's it's measurable and we have a booming population who knows how to deal with technical problems and who are building things left, right, and center. I think digital inclusion being a technical problem is also a call to action on something that, you know, we as individuals are capable of contributing to in our work as engineers, as designers, as product managers. And that can really set the set the stage for the digital world being a step above what it was in terms of making the physical world inclusive. I love how the language of technical or technology is so central here because it's easy in older framings to divide as a binary, as you said, between disabled and non-disabled. Whereas when you focus on technology, it's a matter of what is the tech I need to provide someone to be able to have access to whatever they need. And it breaks down that binary and a lot of those barriers. So that's beautiful. I have a, a personal question for you, Avid. You have a really fascinating backstory. Um, I would love to know, how does your past work as an aspiring filmmaker and designer inform the work you're doing now? I really just like the imagery of viewing the world through an imaginative lens to learn and create something beautiful. I really appreciate that question because I, I think an unstructured paths to entrepreneurship are, are critical. And filmmaking feels really tied to the world of both business and to the world of inclusive design. You know, one one way to think about that, though, is, you know, inclusive design is really about focusing on the individual. It's focusing on folks who might be at the edges uh, or often referred to as outliers. You know, film and putting a spotlight on individuals is to actually become more aware on kind of the micro and to understand at the individual level an experience and a character and, and a personality and everything that makes them that. So the the unique environment and the unique timing or circumstance. And so I feel like film really allowed me to just learn about people and go deep into the fact that like no two people are alike. And inclusive design from a practitioner's perspective, you need that embedded into your mental model. What's helped though is is counterbalancing that with this kind of macro perspective on economics and understanding that um, there are systemic things that need to evolve and change. But I, I think the balance is really helpful and I'm extremely grateful for the fact that uh, film continues to be this way of getting to know individuals deeply while we try to affect change for the masses. 
I want to go back to another point you both mentioned at the beginning was about unlearning as you're discussing some of your schooling and learning about UX. Many people may not be familiar with this concept of unlearning. So I wonder if you could walk us through that a little bit earlier in your process. It's amazing how much we like pick up as we're growing up or as we get exposed in high school and university. And, and it's the amount of things we're conditioned to, right? Um, our, our educational system, our, our grading system, to the way we look at the world. It's it's just like every year goes by, we, we just are more and more conditioned. And unlearning is that process of questioning everything that you were taught, everything that you believed in and trying to looking at it from a different lens. And we try to, I think we have to try to do this all the time as well. You know, it's it's something that we we practice. And when we have new employees who come into our team, you know, we we really give them that space to unlearn. It's like, you know, what does a team look like? Who gets to be part of a team? What is disability? How do you view disability? What do you think? Who is a user? Uh, what are the characteristics of a user? It's just every part that you see, you would have to just question it a little differently. And for a lot of people, it's it's it takes you aback. It takes you aback because you start looking at everything around you differently. Yeah, you know, and what I would say is that it, it's not a thing that happens. Like, it's not like a moment in time where, oh, I, I think differently about I things. Unlearned <laughs> I unlearned a thing. It's, <laughs> it's not like that. I, I think, Alvar mentioned, you know, over the last five years with your vitiligo, your perspective changing. You know, that is that is a lot of conditioning and upbringing and culture and everything pieced into why you might feel a way about a thing. And it can take years to go through a process of looking at something that you once perceived as negative and to look at it as positive. Like that is a huge transformation to go through. But for that transformation to happen, you actually have to start by trying to let go of the first half, not just change it into the second half. You you want to approach the second half through a different kind of process. But the starting point is how do you deconstruct something that maybe has been deeply built into you? And I think one thing that a lot of folks face is the fact that they perceive disability to be this negative thing. And they say, oh, that, that poor person with the wheelchair or whatever. Yeah, and, it's like and, less able. Like, yeah, yeah. Just... yeah. And, and I think when you hear folks talk about things like differently able, like that just screams the need for unlearning, like that, that desire to think even that disabled is this negative word that we shouldn't call people disabled is also a thing that comes to mind. So I think choosing who we learn from is a part of that process. And I think broadly exposure is a big part of that process. And I think we continue to be on a, on a really exciting journey of unlearning things that we didn't realize were part of our way of looking at the world and influenced by our communities and our TV and everything else. I appreciate how you highlight the importance of language here. Big fan of language myself. Um, I think language is a profound starting point for change because as we focus on change in the language we use, that then becomes other concrete actions and the way we orient in the world, as you talked about, and those very gradual, subtle ways that we build new habits of interacting with other people. I wanted to ask you something, which is just, do you find that your language is also evolving even through the experience of having all of these conversations and and delving deep into it? 
Oh, absolutely. As a writer and, and interviewing people from different backgrounds, I'm always learning ways of how I can better word things. And people have different preferences for language you use, especially within different subgroups within different communities within the disabilities community. Um, and so I'm just always trying to be attuned and learning and realizing, oh, I need to change that or, oh, I, I misspoke here. And it's just always learning. And it's just always changing, just trying to be open to gentle correction and just new insights of knowledge gaps that I've had. Um, so it's just a continual process as you talked about. It doesn't, you don't wake up one day, oh, I unlearned <laughs> X, you gradually shift away from it to something new. Yeah. I want to give you both a chance to do a couple of victory laps here. <laughs> as co-founders of Fable, you've accomplished some really incredible things. Are there any specific projects in particular you're most proud of? Um, I think I would start at a at a higher level. Like, yeah, it's it's been such an amazing journey with everything, you know, that we've done with Fable and and the kind of organizations where we're getting to support and the impact we're having. But, you know, one of the things when we when we started the business as well was really weaving in the voices of people with disabilities throughout all processes. And for us, that's been, I think, building our community and, and being able to provide flexible working opportunities to people with disabilities and our community of testers being able to influence the biggest corporations in the world and how they build, you know, accessible products. That's super exciting. So the project that I would say that, you know, stands out for me is something we've worked on recently, Fable Pathways. And I'll let Abit speak to it more because that's something he's been leading. But truly truly love everything we're doing there you know like this this has also been a bit of a, a hack and a cheat of being able to pull in this passion for film into the business and give a platform for people with disabilities to share the knowledge that they have so yeah absolutely pathways is as a whole it's a, a free skill development program video based masterclass style masterclass inspired online courses for people with disabilities taught by people with disabilities with the focus of improving and, and advancing people with disabilities into the technology sector uh, for work. And so the part of this that's fun is a creative part. It's a elevation of certain voices part, but it's also the learning piece of it. We ourselves are getting to learn from folks who have problem solved and who have navigated nuance and complexity in ways that are incredibly difficult. And I think as a whole, it, it's the beginning of something. And it, and it kind of feels weird to put it that way because it, it is a full-on project, but it, it actually kind of feels like we're about to scratch the surface of something that's going to go much, much deeper. I think that's probably why we're so excited about it right now and, and feel proud about it right now. We've been really well, lucky, though. We've we've worked on cool projects, mm -hmm. man, like from helping make 911 services accessible to the true. folks who are deaf blind to elections on multiple angles from registering to vote to being able to watch live election results, even just making cool features and some of the products we love more accessible. Like we get to touch a lot of really exciting things and power to our community because it's it's them who are driving forward these projects. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Sam Prue. Not only is he the host of the Inclusion of Podcast, he's also Fable's accessibility evangelist. 
I want to ask this question in the context of allyship. What has it been like working with Sam? It's been like, I can't say anything but amazing. You know, Sam has been part of the journey from day one. He was there when Avid and I literally had a barely working prototype. He was our first tester to then building our first set of community members and becoming our community manager, scaling that to to now being, you know, the voice of Fable and being our accessibility evangelist and and representing Fable in in all different communities and spaces. Sam has taught Abed and I and continues to teach Abed and I a lot around accessibility, but also just even more around how do we scale our organization? How do we build an inclusive team? How do we be the example, you know, that companies can look at when it comes to practicing inclusion as well? And so we have a lot of healthy debates <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's always something we kind of leave feeling wanting to chat more with him. It's an amazing effect to have as an individual, not just on one company, but what I think is starting to become more and more the industry. I think I think Sam's willingness to politely disagree and to assert his opinion as a incredibly knowledgeable individual who is always well researched and well studied. And he brings this air of like, hey, debate is okay. Let's have a conversation. We don't have to agree with each other, but I can still say my opinion and do it with conviction. And that's one thing about Sam is he he carries himself with a lot of conviction. And and the best part of that is that he's willing to say I'm right and he's willing to say I'm wrong. And I think he's a really great example for us, but for the whole industry, like we need more conversation. We need more debate. We need more disagreement with respect if we're going to really progress forward in, in making the digital world inclusive. And I think Sam is spearing that ahead really well. Fable is a founding partner of Inclusion Hub alongside with Salesforce, Be My Eyes, and Mori Creative Studios. How would you describe the importance of collaborating on initiatives like this to help improve accessibility and inclusion? It's a shared mission. You know, I, I think this is one of these exciting spaces where a lot of people in a lot of different ways are working towards the same goal. We should be doing it collaboratively. And it it's critical we don't hole up into these silos of how we're approaching the problem, trying to come up with the the ideal solution. And it's just not going to get there if we're not doing this with each other. And I think what we all realize in that endeavor is the fact that we need more people doing it. We need more people interested and excited about this problem, which is that our digital world is not equitable. I think that coming together and partnering on initiatives with for-profits, non-profits, government organizations, individuals is critical. I think compilation of, of stakeholders is ultimately what's going to help as an industry us like have a mark and, and have an impact and get closer to this goal that we have. Final question for each of you. You, through your several years in accessibility, digital inclusion, you've encountered plenty of naysayers, skeptics, people you need to still need to persuade about the importance of these things, both from a moral and economic perspective, how would you sum up why 
accessibility and digital inclusion matter so much? Yeah, we have to constantly keep explaining the importance of this and we have to remind ourselves that, you know, some people are just getting exposed to this and learning about it. I think the most relatable way is, is something we've already touched upon is, is, is not thinking about this as binary. I think that's been the easiest way for people to understand, you know, why you should invest in digital inclusion, that, you know, disability can be temporary, permanent, situational. Each one of us can experience disability and that all of us today benefit from technology that was designed for people with disabilities and understanding that it's contributing to broader usability. I feel we, we need to shift away from that feel good, do, do this because it feels good. No, do this because it makes sense. Uh, and I think, I think people are slowly tr understanding that when you, when you break it down in these different relatable ways. You know, it's really nice to say that I feel like we talk to skeptics less now than we did five years ago. That's true. And, that is true. <laughs> and, and I almost feel out of practice of having to really convince <laughs> folks. Um, but I, I, I do think when it comes to, to folks who maybe aren't as convinced as others, I think the personalization is right. I, I think understanding, I think I saw a billboard the other day just driving into the city, actually, in Toronto. There was a billboard that said 100% of people will experience disability in their life. And I didn't get to see the organ. I couldn't see, couldn't read the organization that put it up there. But I was really excited that we're just making this more relatable. And I do think that goes hand in hand with removing this notion of this binary distinction. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think that helping folks understand how they themselves experience disability and how they're already leveraging things built for people with disabilities is a great way to get through the skepticism and make it more relatable. So that's just doubling down on exactly what Alvar said. Well, Alvar, Abed, thank you so much for spending some of your time with me with Inclusion of Podcast. I wish you all the success and further collaboration with Fable. And thank you so much. Thanks so thank much. You. This is great. As Sam would say, wow, I have to admit that I loved Abid calling out so-called inspiration porn, the types of news stories and videos that get shared on social media that really end up belittling people with disabilities and lowering the expectations we have of one another. Admittedly, we have a lot of cultural unlearning to do, but I think we can do it. I also deeply appreciate the refrain from Alvar, digital inclusion is a technical problem. I sincerely believe that. It's really poor design that disables us. It's society that disables us. Fortunately, we are not destined or fated to live in an inaccessible world. We can overcome this. And that's a choice we make every single day with every single thing we design. You can check out inclusionhub.com for more stories about accessibility and inclusion and resources and insights from people living with disabilities. Also, be sure to learn more about Inclusion Hub's founding partners, all the great people who help make this podcast possible. That includes Salesforce, customer relationship management software, Mori Creative Studios, where I work, a HubSpot Diamond Partner Agency, Fable, who we just talked about, an accessibility testing platform, and Be My Eyes, which is a free app connecting 
blind and low vision people with sighted volunteers. Please, before you go, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us. Honestly, it does wonders to help advance the cause. And as my predecessor Sam always likes to say, a more accessible and inclusive world is a better world.